Sometimes life needs a major turnaround. Uh, sometimes life needs massive changes. And sometimes you don't even realise it. I like my dad, who felt basically fine and was just having a routine checkup at the doctor when the doctor told him that he was a walking time bomb. His heart was playing up, blood pressure was way too high, cholesterol not coming down, and the doctor said that if he hadn't caught him, then Dad could have been dead inside six months. And so Dad changed his diet, got more exercise, he was even medically retired. Or maybe your life needs a major turnaround, and you do know it, but it's hard. Life's a bit of a mess, but it's hard to change. There's things and there's people that you don't want to let go of. But hanging on just keeps life complicated and so you feel trapped. Sometimes life needs massive changes. Maybe you realise it, maybe you don't. But the key thing is when you do realise it, will you change? Will you turn your life around? The parable we just had read to us calls on people to turn their lives around. God is inviting us to join him in his kingdom of heaven, but to respond rightly to his invitation, our lives have to turn around, to live for him instead of ourselves. Maybe you don't realise that God's calling on you to turn your life around. Maybe you do. The key thing is, by the end of this talk, when we'll have all heard God's call, will you change? Will you turn your life around? But first, in order to understand the parable we're looking at today, we need to look at the setting. Uh, Our parable comes in the middle of some very heated exchanges between Jesus and the leaders of Israel. And so we need to briefly look at what comes before and after the parable to see what's going on. Uh, Back in chapter 21, you might want to just sort of skim through as I uh, do this. Back in chapter 21, Jesus enters Jerusalem. In a few days, he would be executed on a cross. And as he enters Jerusalem, he strides into the temple and immediately picks a fight. There's people using the temple of God as a marketplace, and so he drives them out. He overturns their tables and their benches. It would have been a spectacular scene. Jesus on the rampage. Clearly, he wasn't happy with the state of the temple. Israel was treating God with contempt. Then early the next morning, on his way back into Jerusalem, Jesus is hungry And he passes a fig tree, but the fig tree has no fruit, just like Israel has no fruit of repentance and faith toward God. And so Jesus symbolically curses the fig tree and it withers. Israel's about to come under the curse of God and Jesus is bringing it. Next, Jesus takes aim directly at the chief priests and the elders of the people by telling them the parable of the two sons. And his bottom line in that parable is that God's far more pleased with the tax collectors and the prostitutes than he is with the elders of Israel. Sure, the prostitutes, you know, they've started out badly, but they've repented and now they're living for God. Whereas the chief priests and the elders, they say that they're going about the business of God, but they're rejecting God's very Messiah as they spurn Jesus. And so God prefers the tax collectors to the elders. And as you can imagine, that didn't go down very well with the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And neither did Jesus' next parable that he told the chief priests and and the Pharisees. His next parable was about some tenants 
who looked after a vineyard for a landowner, but the, uh, the tenants then beat and killed the landowner's servants. And so the landowner had those tenants done away with and gave his vineyard to other tenants. The point of it all, have a look, verse 43, chapter 21. Jesus, remember, he's talking to the chief priests and the Pharisees. Verse 43, chapter 21. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. See, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they knew that Jesus had just accused them of being the ones who are rejecting God and his kingdom and that God would crush them for their wickedness, that God would take his kingdom away from them and give it to others, that they would no longer be the people of God. And the chief priests and the Pharisees were outraged by his accusation. And so they looked for a way to arrest him. And their first way was to have a series of confrontations with Jesus. And so in chapter 22, the the chief priests, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they all engage with Jesus in various arguments. But we're told that the only reason they did this was because they were trying to test Jesus, trying to catch him out in his words, trying to get some dirt on Jesus so that they could arrest him. But it all failed. And so finally, in chapter 23, Jesus calls, can you imagine this? He calls the crowds and his disciples together to him and he publicly condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, pronouncing his woes upon them. And along the way, he calls them hypocrites, blind guides, blind fools, blind men. He says to them, you snakes, you brood of vipers. And the parable we're looking at this morning is in the middle and part of all of this, part of Jesus condemning Israel and her leaders. It's a little bit like a ham and a salad sandwich. Uh, you know, you've got the ham, the tomato, the lettuce, the cheese, the bread, uh, but it's all just part of one sandwich. Well, here we've got the temple, the fig tree, the parables, the confrontations and the woes, but they're all part of one thing, Jesus condemning Israel and her leaders in particular. So let's now have a look at the parable where Jesus gets stuck into the chief priests and the Pharisees over nothing less than the kingdom of heaven. We're going to work our way through the parable of the banquet uh, bit by bit, but to help us not get lost in the detail, I thought I'd give you a quick overview just before we hook in. The parable has a king inviting people to a banquet. He gets the banquet ready And then he calls those that he invited to come to the banquet since everything's ready. But they refuse to come. So he calls them again. Look, everything is ready. Come. The banquet's ready. But again, they refuse. And so he does away with that first lot, invites some others to come to the banquet, and they do come. Although there's one guy that got it all wrong, and so he gets kicked out as well. That's the parable in a nutshell. Let's have a look at it in bit by bit though. In Jesus' parable, there's two rounds of invitations from the king. We're going to look at the first round of invitations. We're up to point two on your outline if you're following that. Verse 1, chapter 22. Jesus here, remember, he's on the attack. Uh, He's attacking the chief priests and the Pharisees. Chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a, a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who'd been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. God is here uh, pictured as a king who invited people to a royal wedding banquet. And by saying, starting his parable like this, Jesus has immediately taken the high ground. By speaking of a royal wedding banquet, he's picking up on some Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, who spoke of God's promise to bring his people into a banquet. It's a picture, an image of the end of time when God would finally and fully bring his people to himself in glory and they would be triumphant and their enemies would be done away with and God's people would figuratively feast on the finest of fare. It's a picture of enjoying the great unadulterated blessing of God in his heavenly kingdom, the new creation. And through his prophets, God had invited Old Testament Israel to come and join in the banquet. Over and over again, the prophets call on Israel to return to the Lord, to repent of their sin and to live for him. And if they did, one day, on the last day, they would be brought into the completed blessing of God at the banquet of God. And in Jesus' parable, he's saying that that day has come. Because in the parable, not only have the invitations been given, but everything's been made ready. And so now is the time to come and join in the feast. The end time banquet of God is upon them and Jesus condemns Israel's leaders for not coming. Verse 4. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. Israel is here pictured as a stubborn, rebellious, wicked people. And not just the leaders but the nation as a whole in general. They seized the king's servants, referring to the prophets. They mistreated them. And in Jesus' generation, they're doing it all over again as they try and do away with Jesus. But see, with Jesus, this is their last chance. He's the Son of God, the one for whom the royal wedding banquet is being prepared, the time of God's blessing, the the great end-time banquet is beginning and Israel is refusing to come. Jesus is the only one who can bring them into God's blessing, the completed forgiveness of sins, being adopted into God's family, even the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the only one who can bring them into this but they're in the process of rejecting him, hatching plots to kill him. And God's response, he's had enough. In the parable, the king issues a second round of invitations to other people to join him in the banquet because he's going to do away with that first lot and he's going to have other people come and join him. It's a picture of God rejecting Israel and calling others, Gentiles like us, into his kingdom. Verse 7. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, 
And the wedding hall was filled with guests. In other words, Jesus is declaring the end of Israel as God's chosen people. No longer will God deal especially with the Jews. They've spurned him in wickedness. They've rejected his summons. And so instead, God is gathering peoples from all the nations to come and join him at his great end time feast. God has had enough. And so now it's time for the other nations. And with the death of Christ came the death of Judaism as the way people would relate to God. In the death of Christ, God opened up the way for peoples from all nations to come to him directly through Christ Jesus. Israel's loss has become our gain. Now, this is not to say that Israelites can't become members of God's people. Uh, There's plenty of Jewish Christians in the world today. They can come to Jesus just as much as we can come to Jesus. But what Jesus is saying here in the parable is that the kingdom of heaven is now no longer the exclusive domain of the Israelites. Being in the kingdom of heaven is not about being Jewish anymore. We don't have to go and get circumcised or stop eating pork to become one of God's people. It's not about being Jewish. Anyone can be part of God's kingdom now. In fact, God's inviting people from all over the world to join him in his kingdom feast. According to Jesus, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like today. And in Jesus' parable, God does a great job of inviting and summoning people into his banquet. Remember verse 10, the wedding hall was filled with guests. And if the parable finished here, it'd be fine, wouldn't it? Uh, You've got the story complete. Uh, Israel spurns God, so God rejects Israel and invites others to the banquet and they come. The banquet's ready, people came. End of story, right? Well, no. Jesus has another sting in the tail. And this time, it's for people like you and me. Just as God rejected Israel, he can reject us as well. So in the parable, the king has invited the other people. The wedding hall's filled with guests. But then the king comes in to see the guests and there's someone there who shouldn't be. Verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now that's a curious ending, isn't it? I mean, what's the fuss about not having wedding clothes and throwing the man out and having him tortured? It's a bit harsh, isn't it? Especially when the king addressed him as friend. It's a troubling ending. And to help make sense of it, we need to realise that in Matthew, when someone calls you friend, that's bad news. The word only pops up three times in the New Testament, and they're all in Matthew. The first time, as we saw last week, was in the parable of the workers of the vineyard. Remember, uh, in, at the end of the parable, the master talks to the grumbling Uh, first worker and addresses him as friend the second time is here in Matthew 22 where the king has his friend thrown out and tortured and the last time friend is used is in Matthew 26 where Judas betrays Jesus and as Judas comes up to him Jesus says friend do what you came for to be called friend in Matthew is bad news 
And in our parable, the king's problem with his friend is that he has no wedding clothes. Wedding clothes were how you got into the wedding and so the king's wondering how he did get in without them. And since Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, the wedding clothes seem to be the evidence of a proper response to the invitation. Israel was invited but responded wrongly and they were cut off by God because of it. Others were invited and here, one of those others gets cut off as well. In other words, if we respond wrongly to God's invitation to his kingdom of heaven, he will come against us in anger, darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, hell. And so we want to make sure, don't we, that we respond rightly to God's invitation. But how do you do that? We're not told in the parable. But in the book of Matthew, he's been making it clear right throughout his gospel. We haven't got time to sort through it in detail, but in essence, in Matthew, responding rightly to God's invitation is to repent and believe. Repent and believe. When Jesus first begins to preach in Matthew in chapter 4, what he says is summarized in these words. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In chapter 21, when Jesus declares the tax collectors and the prostitutes as being better than the chief priests and the Pharisees, the reason is because the tax collectors and the prostitutes repented and believed, but the chief priests and the Pharisees didn't. And so we need to repent. In other words, turn our lives around. Stop sinning. Stop disobeying the Lord Jesus. Start obeying him. And we need to believe In other words, to trust in the Lord Jesus to tell us what to do, to run our lives, to depend on Christ, to remove our sins because he died for us, to rely on Christ, to get us into the heavenly banquet in the new creation. We can't do it for ourselves. We believe in Jesus to do these things for us. We repent and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we're to respond to God's invitation. Now, it's pretty clear, I think, that uh, God's invitation is totally different to what we normally think of when it comes to invitations. Uh, When we get an invitation to a wedding or to a birthday party, uh, the first thing we do is check out our calendars to see if we're free. Uh, We size up how important the person is and whether we should go or not or whether we can go or not. Uh, Getting an invitation to us is someone asking us if we'd like to come. That's not so with God. God, getting an invitation from God is a demand upon you to come because he's inviting us to join in his kingdom where he's the king in charge and we're the subjects. The Lord Jesus calls the shots. We carry out his bidding. The kingdom of heaven is, after all, a kingdom where one person is king, Christ And that's why repentance and belief is the way to respond rightly to God's invitation because we need to repent of living disobediently against the King, Jesus. And we need to believe in him to forgive us of our sins and get us into the end-time banquet of God. We need to repent and believe in Christ. And what's that going to look like? How does that rubber sort of hit the road? Because you might be here and you've been Christian for a long time. 
you might be here and you're actually wondering what Jesus is on about. You're not Christian, but you're wanting to check things out. Or you might be here and you think that you're Christian, but you actually haven't really been treating Jesus as king and you're just keeping up appearances. Wherever we are, we all need to be clear about what it means to repent and believe. Because according to Jesus, that's the way you respond to God's invitation. That's the way you enter into the kingdom of heaven. So what would it look like to repent and believe in Jesus? Well, in Matthew 22, a little bit later on, Jesus says the two most important things in life are these. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. That's what servants of Christ in the kingdom of heaven, that's how they live. They love God with everything that they have and all that they are. Everything in life revolves around God and his demands. He's not sidelined. He's not somehow fitted into our schedules. He's not a part of our lives. He is our life. We're fanatics. We love him with all of our heart and soul and mind. There's not one aspect or compartment of life that isn't touched and shaped and profoundly impacted by God and his demands and his concerns and his interests. We trust him with everything. We depend on him for the removal of our sins. We rely on him for direction and purpose in life. We, we trust him with the disappointments in life. We trust him even with our death. We trust him with eternal life. We depend upon him on how to live this life as his subjects, we trust him in everything. We love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. And we love our neighbours as ourselves. We treat anyone we come into contact with as important as ourselves. We look to their interests as much as we look to our own. We genuinely care for other people. We sacrifice our own desires to help others. And so there's going to be things that we miss out on. There's going to be things we don't get to do, things we don't get to buy, places we don't get to go because we love our neighbour as ourselves. This is how servants in the kingdom of heaven live because we've repented of not treating the Lord Jesus as king. We've turned that around and we gladly live for him and we believe in him as the one who can forgive us of our sins we trust him as the one who can lead us in this life and lead us into the eternal life of God's banquet in the new creation. And so we repent and believe. Have you? Will you? Are you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ you are inviting and summoning peoples from all nations to join in your kingdom, the heavenly banquet of your new creation. Father, thank you for your grace that Jesus would die in the place of sinners, that we might take our place at your wedding banquet. Thank you for your mercy and compassion. And so we pray for your help that now and all our lives we would repent of sin 
and we would believe in Jesus to be our Lord, our Master and our Saviour. Father, we thank you for him. It's our pleasure and honour and privilege to live for him and we ask you for his sake that we might do that more and more. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it certainly is in Jesus' name that we... Give us minds to understand that you are